Hi, Doxology. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Kyle. I'm a member here, and I'll be doing the scripture reading for tonight. Uh, so tonight we're going to be reading um, 40, uh, Psalm 42 and 43. Um, and that, for those of you that might be using this blue Bible, that's going to be on page 268. Uh, those blue Bibles are our gift to you, so feel free to take that home. Um, you can also uh, always turn to uh, the um, scripture in, on your phone. So again, we'll be doing Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep, deep calls to deep, at the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall, for I shall again praise him my salvation, and my God. In Psalm 43, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is God's word. Thanks so much, Kyle. Uh, so, Doxology, it's great to be back with you all this evening. And if you're new or new-ish, a warm welcome to you, uh, whether you are a Christian, or if you're not a Christian, you're just checking things out. So glad that you're with us this evening. My name is Steve, lead pastor here. And uh, a big thank you to our guest preachers and their families for preaching God's word to us over the past five weeks. And a big thank you to you guys. I remember uh, after our first service back here, when we came to worship after recovering from the hospital, we got back in the car to head home. I looked at Kelsey and I said, I did literally nothing, and the church service was wonderful, and like there's something invigorating about realizing you're absolutely dispensable, and so just thank you guys so much, seriously, uh, for, um, for making worship service happen, and I'm just so glad to get to be back with you guys, and so uh, we're uh, continuing out our summer series for about four more weeks in the Psalms, uh, because the Psalms help us to process the full range of human emotion and the full range of human experience before God. And you'll notice that Psalm 42 and 43 uh, were, were both read this evening. And the reason why that's so is because uh, as much as we can gather, 
These two psalms were originally one psalm put together, and then editors later on broke them up. And there's a number of uh, indicators of that, but one of the most clear is you'll notice between 42 and 43, uh, it's essentially three stanzas, followed by the refrain, why are you cast down, O my soul, why are you at turmoil within me, hope in God. You see that in verse 5, you see it in verse 11, and then you see it again at the end of uh, chapter 43 in verse 5 there. So it's all one psalm, so we're just going to uh, treat it as such. And what we have here is this is written by a worship leader. So John, be careful what you write. People might be reading it 3,000 years from now. And this worship leader has found himself alone to the north of his home in Israel. And you see what he keeps repeating. Uh, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And that phrase, to be cast down, it doesn't mean I'm just feeling a little low. It means to feel like you're in pieces. Uh, It means to feel so sad or depressed, it's hard to move. And so what we have here is this is a psalm that walks through essentially depression or like deep sadness and despair. And uh, this psalm is more personal to me than many of the other psalms in the scriptures because God used it during a very dark time in my own life and continues to do so. And I hope he uses it in our life tonight and moving forward as he's done in my life so often And whether you need this now, if you don't need it now, I guarantee you're going to need it or somebody close to you is going to need it not many years from now. And so um, let's look at this psalm together and we'll look at it under these three headings. So first we'll ask, what kind of depression is he experiencing? And then in light of that, uh, what do we need to know? And then what do we need to do? So first, what kind of depression or sadness, despondency is he feeling? And then in light of the type of depression he's going through, Uh, What do we need to know? And then what do we need to do? Okay, so first, uh, what kind of depression is he experiencing? So starting in verse 1, as a deer pants for flowing streams. So I don't know about you, but growing up and for many years when I would read this verse or hear it sung, what I had in my mind was a picturesque, like Thomas Kincaid-like scene where you have this cute Bambi-looking deer and you're like, skipping down a hill as green as the shire and it comes to a crystal crystal blue stream and it drinks the water and it you know fills up a a glass of water and places it on one of those bamboo trays you know that you get those hipster cafes he's got avocado toast on the side and he's just enjoying a, a nice day drinking out of a stream but that's not the scene at all and the seems the scene is far more grim than that and so what you have here is This is a deer who, she is so dizzy with dehydration that she's desperate for thirst. And so what she does is she runs to the stream that's provided her water, like every time she goes in years past, and to her horror, there's no stream there. It's evaporated, and and so now she finds herself in a position, if I don't find water soon, I'm going to die. And so that's the desperation that she's feeling. And the psalmist says, just like that deer is feeling, that's how I'm feeling. How so? So keep going. He says, so pants my soul for you, O God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? So here's what he's experiencing. He's desperate for God. He's in a dark place. But what's happening is these aren't intellectual questions. He's not questioning whether or not God exists. And those are extremely important questions, and Scripture talks about that in many different places. But that's not what he's experiencing. See, notice he says, my my soul pants for you, thirsts for you, the living God. So what this situation is, is he, he believes in God. He is confident God exists. What he's missing is the experience of God. So God doesn't feel real to him. 
there is no emotional enjoyment of God, no real connection. It's as if everything else in life is in color and God's in shades of gray and white. So he's like, God, I, I believe in you, but you just don't feel real to me. I mean, if you talk with a lot of believers, this is often the number one complaint they have is, I, I believe in God, but I just, I'm not experiencing him. Or I've never, I never have experienced him. So that's the first part. And then it's not only that God isn't real to him, but if you look at what he's crying out, for example, in uh, verse 9 and 10, why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy as with a deadly wound in my bones my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? In other words, he's also weary. So have you ever found yourself, maybe you're in one now, it's a situation where there's just something you really want to happen or something you really want to stop. And you've prayed a number of times for God to do something about it and it just seems like he doesn't care. So that's the added component. Like, God's not real to me. And I just, I don't know if he cares. And so what we have here is this is the specific type of melancholy or spiritual depression that comes in your life when you're just, you're so frustrated or tired from God not seeming real to you. You don't, like, he's not very tangible. And as one author put it, she said, uh, it's as if when I go to pray, God has packed up, moved away, and left no forwarding address. And then a little bit later, she says, it's as if when I, like, I'm going through a hard time, and I go to pray, and I tell God, God, you've picked a horrible time to play hide-and-seek. And if you're going through something like this, or, or you have, you know, this is a, it's not just frustrating, it's profoundly disorienting. And what's great about this psalm is, it helps us to make the most of our pain during a season like this by helping us express and give voice to the sorrow, or sometimes it's horror, that we're feeling while not being overcome by it. That's the key to this song. We can express it and enter into it without being afraid of being overcome by it. So that's the type of depression he's going through, okay? Basically, spiritual depression, God doesn't seem real. So in light of that, uh, what do we need to know? Okay, so th there are a couple of things he points out that are really helpful for when you're in a season like this. And one of the things we see is in verse 3, he says, My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? So the first thing we see is, if you're in a season like this, it may not just be a spiritual issue. You see, he says, my tears have been my food. So on one level, it means, okay, instead of meeting you, God, I'm getting tears. So it's speaking to the ache he feels, but it's poetry, so it's multi-layered. And so he's also saying, I, I'm not eating. I don't have an appetite. Like, I'm eating my tears, right, instead of eating food. And then also, he's probably not sleeping. Why? Because if he's crying day and night, if he's crying at night, this means he's probably not sleeping. And so sometimes when you go through a season like this, it may not just be spiritual. So do you ever go to a, a Christian, you, you express this, you're like, it's just frustrating because God doesn't seem very real. And immediately they go, well, have you been praying? Have you been reading your Bible? And like that, that might be true. Okay, many times the reason why we don't experience God is because we don't actually engage him regularly like we do in other relationships. However, what I love about the scriptures is it gives acknowledgement to the fact that we are multifaceted beings. So you don't just have a spiritual nature, but you have a physical nature, you have a relational nature, you have an emotional nature, you have a cognitive nature. And so while, you know, religious people often will just reduce it to you need to go to church more, you need to pray more, uh, people in our secular society will m reduce it more, they'll take the transcendent component out of it, you just need to build up your self-esteem and uh, work on your mindfulness and so forth, things which aren't always bad. 
But the, the Bible, the scriptures teach us that often it's multidimensional. And so as you think about this, like, and whether it's yourself or if you're walking through something like this with somebody else, if you're in chronic pain, might that experience God's realness to you? If something horrible just happened and it, with a close relationship of yours, might that affect God's realness toward you? If you haven't been in community for a while, is that going to impact God's vividness to you? Like, how many of you during the, the depths of quarantine last year felt the closest you've ever been to God? M- maybe some of you, but my guess is the majority of you, it wasn't your closest season to the Lord. Or as we see that he's not sleeping, I mean, think about how sometimes you don't sleep because, you know, you're having panic attacks or you're upset about something. Sometimes you, you don't sleep because you're irresponsible. Like, when I think back of all the nights where I've been irresponsible and stayed up late looking at a screen, you know, be it watching a series or YouTube or something, rarely the next morning when I try to wake up at 5.30 to have my devotional before getting the work, rarely is that like a wonderful mountaintop experience with God. Okay, just because I only slept five hours. And so it may not only be spiritual, because especially as church scores, we need to see this. And number two, and this is one of the most important lessons in the psalm, if God doesn't feel real to you, one of the things that the psalm teaches is it may not be your fault. In fact, it sometimes probably isn't. And God isn't punishing you for being a weak Christian. And we see that because nowhere in this psalm is there any indicator that he has been sinning unrepentantly. Um, nowhere in the psalm is, is there an indicator that like he's been running from God. So sometimes God does feel absent because you're just in a regular pattern of sin that you're refusing to turn from or you're running from God in some way. But you can often do everything right and still go through a season like this. And it's what's happening here, and we see it all throughout the scriptures. I mean, just one example. Uh, take John the Baptist. So he was the, the dude who, in the, you know, early in the Gospels, he heralded Jesus, like the inauguration of Jesus' ministry. And in the beginning, in Matthew 3, we see John the Baptist, he baptizes Jesus. He baptizes Jesus. Like, talk about a close encounter with God. And then he, he hears from the, cl- the clouds, this is my beloved son. And he sees the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. That is a vivid, tangible experience of God. And then what happens? He rebukes the ruler Herod for sleeping with his brother's wife, and he gets thrown in prison for it. So he's now in prison because he's followed Jesus. And in Matthew 11, we see he enters a season where he begins to doubt. And he enters a a season of spiritual darkness, and he sends messengers to Jesus in Matthew 11, where he says, are you the one? Like, are you the one that I've been hoping for? Because you don't feel very real to me right now, Jesus. It doesn't seem like you care. And Jesus responds not by scolding John, but he, he sends John an encouraging message, and then he praises John with, with the crowds who are listening. He says, no one born of woman is greater than John. And we need to know this because oftentimes there's this unconscious expectation that we're going to have this up-and-to-the-right spiritual trajectory where just like, you know, as you think about your career, it's okay, it's like especially as we're young, we think as long as I keep working hard, I'll get promoted, and I'll climb high, I'll, you know, I'll make more money, my work will be more fulfilling, I can live a more comfortable lifestyle. 
And so it is with my spiritual life. The more I pursue God, it's just going to be up, 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 up in terms of my experience and felt presence of God. But what the Lord mercifully tells us in the scriptures is that's not always the case. I mean, life with, with Christ is often less of a, you know, up into the right. It's more of repeated cycles of going down into the depths and God developing you in the process and coming up. It's, it's a lot less like a rocket shooting up into the air and more like an incubating seed. And so why may God allow you to go through a season like this? Well, look at the, direct tra- at the trajectory of the psalm. Like verses one through four, it's desperation. You know, it, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thirsting for you. I'm, I'm dying of thirst. Uh, I'm crying. And then verse four, he's nostalgic. You know, I'm just remembering when I used to be in the church. But the progression of the psalm is by the time chapter uh, 43 comes on, his circumstances haven't changed. But he's much more confident. Vindicate me, O God. Then I have confidence. I know I'm going to go to the altar of God. That's the church, to God my exceeding joy. And then he ends with, I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And so what we see here is, you see in verse, um, verse 7 where he says, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. What happens is if we're going through life and we're in seasons where, you know, just the water's up to our ankles or the water's up to our knees, we can handle those things on our own. But it's not until the waters are over our heads, either with some kind of suffering or experience or, or God's felt absence, that's when we, we realize, okay, I don't just need, like, Jesus to help me a couple times a week. I need a Savior. I need a King. And so often God loves you way too much to let you remain the same type of person you would be if the waters were only at your ankles all the time instead of coming up over your head that's often where he meets you the most and changes you. Okay, so that's what we need to know. It's not only is it not only spiritual often, but you need to know this isn't, it's not necessarily your fault, and in fact, it can be more of a sign that God's with you. When you need to worry is if you don't ever desire God's felt presence in your life. You're just kind of like, eh. But if you're thirsting for God, that's actually a grace in your life if you want him to be there. Okay, so in light of those things that we need to know now, what do we need to do? And uh, I know you guys, just because I know you, and this isn't like a one, two, three step formula that you plug it in and you're going to get this like poof, this outcome, but this is a process to repeat over and over that will sustain you during these seasons and make you more stable and joyful when you come out the other side. And they're just things to practice all the time anyway. So first, what do we need to do? First, number one, we see in this psalm, we need to get real with God. So notice the daring language he uses. Uh, verse two, my soul, um, or verse three, my tears have been my food. God, I'm ex- I'm, I want to experience you, and instead I'm experiencing tears. Thanks. And people are saying to me, where is your God? In other words, God, there are people who don't know you, and they see me in my sorrow, and they see me in my loneliness, and they're wondering, wouldn't the God that you say is so personal and loving if he cared wouldn't he be doing something about it? So God, why are you sitting on your hands? Verse 9, God, why have you forgotten me? Later in chapter 43, verse 2, God, why have you rejected me? Have you ever prayed to God like this? And the important thing is, is he's praying it to God. He's getting real with God. And this is the, it's so basic um, it, it's hard, but it's so basic to any relationship to engage them with what's really going on if you want to feel closer to them, but it, we so often rarely do it. And so 
what if you're in a season where you feel absent from God? That's a great thing to talk to God about. Tell God that he feels absent from you. What if you're in a season where you don't want to be, be near God? Talk to God about not wanting to talk to God. Are you angry with God? Talk to God about being angry with God. And it's in these seasons where you speak to him and then plunge yourself into his word where he reminds you of his character, reminds you of his promises. That's where he often will meet you the most. So first you need to get real with God. And then number two, when you get, after you get real with God, you need to get real with yourself. Okay, so get real with God, then real with yourself. We see this in the refrain, verse 5, verse 11, and then chapter 43, verse 5. So what does he keep saying? Why are you cast down, O my soul? So notice what he's doing. He's talking to himself. A lot of us are great at listening to our hearts. Okay, a lot of us, we have no problem doing that. And often our hearts are saying, oh my gosh, what about this? Oh my gosh, what about that? Like, we know how to listen to our heart. Okay, we, we do that pretty well. What we're, what we're not as good at is preaching to our heart. Okay, and challenging our heart. And in our, in our current cultural moment, you know, if you look at a lot of the most popular Netflix and streaming series and a lot of the most popular books that millennials and Gen Z tend to enjoy, most of them get really deep into the emotional life of the main character and the mental health of the main character. And, you know, is this character relatable to me, especially as, as they go through the banalities of everyday existence? And while in one sense that's a good thing because a number of us come from families or come from traditions where uh, it's frowned upon to express your feelings, where those things and often where our culture falls short is we give authority to these feelings. And actually our feelings become ultimate reality and override objective truth, no matter what that truth is. And so the beauty of the scriptures is Jesus gives us permission to express our feelings, whatever those feelings may be. But he doesn't leave us there because while those feelings are real, and it's important you know what you, what you feel, they may not be valid. And so you need to, to, to preach to your heart and allow Jesus to speak to your heart, okay, which, which feelings should I be clinging on to, and which are lies or have truths? And one of the best ways to do this is in community. So you see in verse 4 where he's longing to be back in the throng. See, halfway through verse 4, I would go about with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. So he's not only thinking about worship, he's thinking about the people that he used to worship with. And so there's a thinness of community that's taken place where he no longer has this community in his life. And so this is why as inconvenient as community group or discipleship group can be, you need it. And why you also need to be getting together with one another, and I need to be getting together with you guys just in the, you know, everydayness of life. Because we often need other people to point out our blind spots. I remember um, I went through, I've gone through a, a few seasons of depression, and one of the worst was in between my junior and senior year of college. And I had a friend of mine who was staying on the campus with me that summer, and I'm very introverted. He's very extroverted. And that man pursued me. He was so irritating because he would call me all the time. Steve, can you hang out? Steve, can you go to dinner? Steve, can you do this? Steve, can you memorize scripture with me? And at the time, it was irritating. But because he pursued me, um, we would meet, you know, like one or two mornings a week before we'd start. Our, we both had jobs that summer before we'd start our work. And there were many mornings where I didn't want to wake up and go, go see him. But because he cared enough about me to pursue me, and speak gospel truths to me that I didn't believe in the moment, and I thought he was silly for believing, God used him to get me through that summer. 
and arrive at a much better place when the following fall came. Because we, we need to, to speak to our hearts, and often that comes through other people in community doing it. Okay, and the number three, so we get real with God, we get, we get real with ourselves, and finally we need to go to God's house. We need to go to God's house when we're in spiritual depression and darkness. And so, what is he nostalgic for in verse 4? He, he misses going to church, right? So he's like, I, I remember these things. As I'm in sorrow, I can't even get out of bed just because I'm crying. The thing I long for the most is being back worshiping. Songs of praise, a multitude of festival with the, with the people of God. And then what is he longing for once God pulls him out of the season? Chapter 43, verse 4. Or chapter beginning in uh, cha- uh, verse 3. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. And then verse 4. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre. That, that is wisdom. Where he's able to say, on the one hand, I'm so tired. And I'm so angry at you, God, for not feeling real to me. I mean, I used to be a worship leader for crying out loud. To say that on the one hand, and yet on the other hand to say, I know that it's God's house, worshiping with God and his people. That's the place I most need to go for refreshment and to see the world rightly. And so as as you think about how you view church, I mean, even when you're in the best of seasons, like, do you long to go to church on Sunday? And I won't be offended because this is about God, right, that we're all coming to meet instead of me. And I know, you know, one of the hardest things during COVID, and I experienced this too, is I think part of our, part of many people's reluctance to go back to gathering, yes, there was a medical concern, but a large part of it too, and people, I've talked with a number of people who have just admitted this, there wasn't an intense longing to be back in the house of God. It's like, it's just way more fun to stay in my pajamas and make coffee and watch half of the service and then then do something else. And so a question for you is, I mean, whether it's in the best of seasons or the worst of seasons, like when you think about going to church on Sunday, is it something that you're relieved to go to? Something that you hurry to go to? Or is it something that you feel like you have to brace yourself for before you go? Or just like, okay, I know I have to do this because otherwise how are the signs going to get put up outside? (laughs) Um, Or is it something that you're relieved to go to? I I don't say this to guilt you. So much of my life I hated going to church. But what do we, is he is longing to go to the house of God. The psalmist knows something that we don't, that we often don't, and that when you walk through the doors of the church building, it's no ordinary thing. So when you go to church, it's not just like you're stopping your Sunday prep for the work week or you're getting off the couch to go to church. You know, going into the church building, it's more than just walking into the ordinary-looking building on, on North Pershing Drive and saying some hellos and singing some songs and, and leaving. No, what it's more akin to is walking through the wardrobe. And this is what C.S. Lewis gets at in his line, The Witch in the Wardrobe. He says, this is why we need children in our lives. Because... Just like the wardrobe looks ordinary and mundane from the outside, so does a church building look ordinary and mundane from the outside. But when you step through, suddenly you find yourself in a world awash with wonder and mystery, and you find yourself caught up in a story that will forever change the trajectory of your life. 
And the reason why we need to be like children is because Jesus himself says it's, it's, it's little children who enter the kingdom of God. And so you need to be like a child. Why? Because children know that there's so much more to the ordinary looking things of this world. But there is, a trans, there is a transcendence and almost a magic to the world. And so while there is pain in the world and there is sorrow in the world and there are things parallel to the white witch where you feel like it will always be winter and never Christmas, there's also someone far more beautiful, far better, named Aslan in Narnia, who when he shakes his mane, we will see spring again. And Aslan points us to who? Jesus. And so when you step into the doors of the church building on Sunday, and you're taken into not a fantasy, but ultimate reality. And you get to see the wonder and the mystery that God brings you into. What do you see? See how in verse 8 he says, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. So when you walk through the doors and you experience all the ways God loves you through various ways, what's one of the most powerful ways you do it? It's by looking at Jesus. And Jesus in Luke chapter 24, he says, all of the Old Testament scriptures point to me. And so what that means is ultimately the psalm is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. And so who's the psalm ultimately about? It's about Jesus. Who said, why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? As Jesus was hanging on, on was, as Jesus was on the cross, he was mocked by the people in front of him asking, don't you trust in God? Why doesn't God deliver you? Who was it who really said, who is, it, who is it that really said, God, why have you rejected me? Okay, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Who is it that really said, my soul thirsts for God, soul pants my soul for you, O God? John chapter 19, I thirst. And this wasn't just some parched feeling Jesus was experiencing. This was the horrific, withering away of your soul that takes place when you're stripped away of everything that gives you light and warmth and beauty. Because what was going on? Jesus was actually experiencing abandonment by God in your place so that when you feel abandoned by God, you know you're actually not because Jesus has exchanged places with you. And then he rose from the dead. And so what you need to do when you're in a season where God doesn't feel real, where he's not emotionally enjoyable, maybe you're in some kind of chronic pain or this issue, you're just wondering, why isn't God fixing it? What you need to do is grab hold of the risen Christ and say, because you sung verses one through four for me, I thirst, when shall I appear before God? My tears have been my food. People say to me, where is your God? I can't wait to go back to the procession of the house of God because Jesus cried out, really, verses one through four. You can sing, verse 5, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Your hope isn't in some self-help tool or trying to get it together. Your hope is in a person. And when you grasp that, when you grasp what Jesus did and how he sung this song for you, that's when the darkness begins to lift. That's when the waters begin to flow. That's when the absence of God begins to abate. When you make it out on the other side, you'll be far happier, more stable, and far more helpful to other people in your life who are going through the same thing. And one day you will experience in the new earth, right now you just get snippets of it, one day you will get the experience of God full, real, and free.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you give us permission to cry out to you like this. Um, thank you so much that while there are seasons where we feel like we're alone or abandoned, we know that we're actually not uh, because of you and love giving up your son because of Jesus so gladly doing it for us, Lord. So um, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for the hope of the resurrection. And will you comfort anyone in this room tonight who is in a season similar to Psalm 42 and 43? Lord, comfort them with your presence and your healing embrace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.